Chapter Four of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars by Harriet Lemmis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, Sticking Tomatoes. Ding, 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 ding. Peggy sat up in bed. At once she knew what had happened. The house was on fire, and it all came from Dick's being so careless with matches. Drowsily she struggled to recall what it was that she meant to say first, when that dread, lurking somewhere in every civilized brain, came to realization. "'Peggy! Peggy! Wake up! Don't you hear the gong?' It was Priscilla's voice, a trifle peremptory, but reassuringly casual. Peggy opened her eyes with an effort suggesting that the lids had been glued down. She was not in her room at home, that simple, inexpensively furnished little room that nevertheless had the charm of individuality and good taste, lacking in many a pretentious apartment. This room was big and cheerless. There was no carpet on the floor, no pictures on the wall, no curtains at the windows. It contained a number of cot beds, placed so near together that if two girls had tried to get into bed on the same side, and at the same moment a collision would have been unavoidable. The two dressers, one at either end of the room, seemed rather inadequate compared with the number of beds. From the room beyond there came the sound of voices and the light thudding of stockinged feet on the bare floor. "'Peggy Raymond,' scolded Priscilla, as Peggy looked about her blinking, "'aren't you ever going to wake up?' And then Peggy remembered. She was not a college girl, taking things a bit easy in honor of the summer vacation. She was a farmerette, a working woman with a hard day before her, Peggy came out of bed with a bound. As she scrambled into her unaccustomed clothing, she realized that it was not the middle of the night, as her sleepy brain had assumed, but early on a June morning. The glimpses she caught of the outdoor world presented a strangely unfamiliar aspect, lights and shadows unknown later in the day. Peggy remembered that the rising gong was to sound at half-past five. Considering that forty girls were awake and stirring in the farmhouse, there was surprisingly little chatter. The girls realized the need of haste. Breakfast was at six, and after dispatching that meal they were expected to help in washing dishes and making the beds, as a preliminary to the real work of the day. Out of the two score girls in the company, a few had been at work a month, and they assumed the airs of seasoned farmers. The majority had been broken in a week or ten days earlier, while a half-dozen or so, including the three friendly terrace girls, had arrived only the previous evening and were distinctly green hands. A big upstanding girl, who had slept at the end of the room, came up to Peggy as she was trying to get a peep in the mirror over a cluster of shoulders whose owners had preempted the desirable location by virtue of being first on the ground. "'You ain't got no need to worry about the way your hair looks,' objected the buxom stranger. "'Nobody's going to notice, and by bedtime you won't care a rap yourself.' Peggy replied politely that she thought this very likely. The intonation of the girl who had accosted her awakened her surprise. All those she had talked with the previous day had been high school or college students, some of them college graduates, all of her own sort. This girl was distinctly different. Her accent reminded Peggy of Elvira Bond. She wondered vaguely how she came to be there. Evidently her curiosity was reciprocated. "'What's your name?' asked the jarring voice, so unnecessarily loud that half a dozen girls turned their heads to see if the inquiry had been addressed to them. "'Margaret Raymond, but almost everybody calls me Peggy.' "'Mine's Margaret, too, in Pa's Bible, but I don't answer to nothing but Mag. Mag Whipple. Don't look as if you knew much about farm work.' "'No, it's all new to me,' 
Peggy was ashamed of herself for resenting Mag's air of patronage. She was ready to be kind to a girl whose lack of culture put her at a disadvantage, but it was a little hard to put up with airs of superiority at the same time. "'There ain't much about a farm that I don't know,' boasted Mag. "'Pa, he got the idea that there wasn't enough money in farming, and a year ago he sold out and come to town, and say, I don't like it a little bit. I don't feel as if I had elbow-room. But when I heard about this here farmerette stunt, I says to myself, that's the job for me. The gong below stairs announced breakfast, and the procession started. Mag Whipple kept at Peggy's side as they went down the stairs. Kind of makes me laugh the airs some of em put on, she remarked confidentially. All they know about farming they've picked up in two or three weeks, and to hear em you'd think they'd been born and raised twenty miles from a railroad. How do you reckon that they'll show up when it comes to pitching hay? Peggy was not particularly pleased to find Mag at her right hand as the girls took their seats at the long table, roughly constructed of planks, placed across wooden trestles, and covered with an oilcloth. The benches ranged on either side lacked backs. The china was of a thickness, suggesting immunity to breakage, though the frequent nicks proclaimed the vanity of that hope. Peggy ate her oatmeal with the growing conviction that the romance of her new venture was overshadowed by a distinctly prosaic side. The proximity of Mag Whipple helped to confirm that impression. It was clear that Mag had never learned the ABC of table etiquette, either at home or in the daily lunchroom, where she had been employed. She drank her coffee from the saucer with a noisy gurgle. She scraped her plate till the girls at the end of the table looked to see what was happening, and then conveyed the remnant of a fried egg to her lips with the blade of her knife. Peggy blushed as rosily as if she herself had been guilty of this breach of propriety, while Priscilla, who sat at Peggy's left, arched her brows and bit her lip. It was insufferable that this ill-bred girl, the only one of her sort in the whole forty, should attach herself to Peggy. And if Peggy's gentleness prevented her from teaching Mag Whipple her place, Priscilla resolved to take the responsibility on herself. The activities of the day had been already determined, as different farmers in the vicinity had telephoned requests for workers in numbers ranging from two to twenty. Peggy and Amy were among a dozen girls assigned to the Hillcrest farm to stick tomatoes. Peggy was a little disappointed in the nature of her first assignment. Though she had no idea what was implied by the term sticking tomatoes, it sounded tame and domestic, like making salad or preserves, and Peggy had not donned overalls for that. Mrs. Lockwood, the matron, a woman whose snowy hair was in striking contrast with the youthful brilliancy of her dark eyes, came up to Peggy just as she was finishing her meal. "'You are one of the new girls, aren't you? And you're going to the Hillcrest farm?' "'Yes, I believe so,' said Peggy thinking that she would not mind having her hair blanch in a night like Mary Antoinette's, if only it was as beautiful as this. "'Our work is eight hours, but I should advise you not to work more than four to start with.' Peggy looked surprised. "'Do you mean that I'd get too tired? But I don't think I should. I'm really very strong.' Mag Whipple broke into a laugh, a very disagreeable laugh in Peggy's estimation. She felt that she was being made fun of, and her cheeks grew hot. "'I'd rather work the full day, please,' she said with dignity. Mrs. Lockwood smiled. "'It is new work, you know, and you will use muscles that are accustomed to having a rather easy time. If at the end of half a day you decide to stop, it will be all right.' Mag was still chuckling, and though Peggy said no more, her lips tightened till the smile quite disappeared. It annoyed her that Mrs. Lockwood should think her a weakling who would have to lie off after four hours of work while Mag's airs of superiority were more annoying still. Peggy made up her mind that the laugh would be on her side by dinner-time. The farmhouse hummed like a beehive as the girls fell to work. Beds were made, in short order. 
the heavy china was washed in a haste which would have proved fatal to more fragile wear some of the girls had been delegated to the household squad for the day and they went about their more familiar duties with an air of disappointment priscilla also looked disappointed she was not going to the hillcrest farm but to another known as the sweetwater farm what are you going to do to-day asked peggy as she folded her blanket and laid it across the foot of her narrow cot priscilla performing the same operation at the next bed thin corn whatever that is why i suppose it means pulling out the extra shoots so there won't be too many on a hill peggy's manner betrayed her pride in the extent of her agricultural information and priscilla asked with becoming humility what are you going to do stick tomatoes what on earth is that haven't the slightest idea peggy broke into helpless laughter at this prompt exposure of pretensions to be an agricultural expert and priscilla joined her probably never in its existence of nearly a hundred years had the old farmhouse echoed with more spontaneous laughter than now when it was the abiding place of forty lively girls the girls were conveyed to the farms where they were to work in a small motor-bus and the hillcrest delegation was the first to leave the tall girl at the wheel looked over her shoulder as the dozen crowded in any of you familiar with a ford no one responded anybody used to driving a car of any sort there was a general shaking of heads whereupon the driver fixed her eyes on peggy you come out and sit by me she said and keep your eyes open there's only one girl besides myself who can run this bus and unless we break some of you in there'll be trouble one of these days peggy scrambled into the front seat nothing loath she had never been ambitious in the direction of learning to run a car indeed she had looked almost reverently on the girls she had seen performing that feat and wondered how they dared but that was in those far-off days before the war now no girl with good red blood in her veins would allow herself to feel that there was anything she could not do the morning's ride took them through a very beautiful farming country and the girls in the body of the bus were continually exclaiming over some showy patch of wildflowers or bright plumaged bird but peggy saw nothing but the wheel and the skilful hands upon it and the stretch of road ahead occasionally she asked a question which marion keith the driver answered with painstaking clearness the mysterious process called sticking tomatoes was not to remain a mystery long at the farm the newcomers were put under the tutelage of a more experienced worker to peggy's regret this phase of her education was entrusted to mag whipple who lost no chance to impress her pupil with her own greater information sticking tomatoes proved not even distantly related to making salad it only meant as peggy realized with a feeling of disgust at her own lack of imagination sticking small tomato plants into the ground you held several of them in your left hand and in the right a tool quaintly named a dibble with the dibble you scooped out a hole in the furrow running straight across the field placed one of the tomato plants within and with the dibble patted down the earth about it after peggy had painstakingly set out her first plant mag seized it by the stem and gave it what seemed a vindictive yank up it came and peggy's eyes widened in indignant remonstrance that wouldn't do you see mag explained you've got to get it so it'll stand a pull they're way behind the times on this farm she added loftily sticking tomatoes like their grandfathers did but as long as it ain't our funeral we'll do it the way they say peggy's second attempt was more successful though mag pleasantly assured her that she was slower than molasses in january by the time you got the last of that lot of tomatoes set out she smiled the first would be ready to pick and then as if perceiving a suggestion of reluctance in peggy's smile she added consolingly i guess you'll learn sooner or later you don't look as stupid as some 
Peggy was glad when her watchful instructor considered her sufficiently advanced to be left to herself. She toiled on patiently, realizing now that Mag was no longer present to be amused, that her awkwardness was really funny. The day had seemed fresh and delicious on the drive over, but to the girl sticking tomatoes, the sun appeared to have it all its own way, while the breeze had retired from business. The perspiration trickled off Peggy's chin and fell in salty drops on the young tomatoes. At the intersection of two of the furrows made for the guidance of the workers, Peggy fell in with Amy. After a glance at the crimson face under the broad-brimmed hat, she burst into a spontaneous laugh. "'Oh, Amy, how red you are!' "'If I'm any redder than you are, Peggy Raymond, I must look like a tomato dead ripe.' "'How are you getting along?' Peggy inquired casually. "'Pretty fair,' returned Amy with equal casualness. "'How are you?' "'Oh, all right. It's, it's a little harder than I thought.' owned peggy gives you a queer feeling in the back doesn't it exclaimed amy becoming animated all at once yes and in the knees but i'm not going to give up after half a day declared amy positively nor i even if we do get a little tired we'll have sixteen hours to rest in refreshed and cheered by the chance encounter the two friends parted company following the guiding furrows and for a little each plied her dibble with redoubled energy but the queer feeling in the back on which Amy had commented, and the stiffness in the knees of which Peggy had spoken, and various other uncomfortable sensations, became more pronounced moment by moment. When at intervals Peggy straightened and stood upright, she felt as if she were trying to open a pocket-knife with rusty blades. Her muscles had lost their spring. She could sympathize with old people who shuffled along the sidewalk instead of moving lightly and buoyantly. Peggy had discovered before that morning at Hillcrest Farm that some hours are much longer than others. The hour one waits for a belated train seems to have at least one hundred and twenty minutes. Waiting for some anticipated pleasure has a tendency to make Father Time seem an extremely leisurely old gentleman. The longest hour of Peggy's life was the one when she had waited outside her mother's sick room, while within the doctor and the white-robed nurse held conference for exactly sixty interminable minutes. But next to that came the hours on Hillcrest Farm. When Peggy saw that her wristwatch indicated ten o'clock, she gave it a little indignant shake. "'That man warranted that watch,' scolded Peggy. "'Said it would keep time in the trenches or anywhere, and it stopped the very first morning.' She held it to her ear, and to her surprise the wristwatch was ticking away merrily. Peggy decided that the hour hand must have caught, but when a big bell sounded the signal for the noon rest, Peggy's watch indicated exactly twelve o'clock. The farmerettes had brought a luncheon put up the night before, and they partook of it picnic fashion sitting on a grassy knoll under the genial shade of a spreading maple. Here Peggy found Amy lying stretched on her back, presenting a more flattened appearance than one would have thought possible, considering her natural plumpness. "'You look,' declared Peggy rather unfeelingly, "'exactly as if you'd been stepped on by an elephant!' Amy paid no attention to this jibe. "'I'm down here,' she observed and I don't expect to move until it's time to go home. You mean you're only going to work half a day? I'm not going to work any more than I have. Half a day or a quarter of a day or a tenth of a day, it doesn't make a mite of difference, Amy spoke with reckless abandon. And if you're not a goose, you'll do the same. It is more than possible that Peggy would have acted on this eminently sensible suggestion had she not at the moment caught the eye of Mag Whipple. Mag wore her familiar superior smile. Her lips were parted, and Peggy was sure they were about to utter the words, I told you so. Peggy felt a thrill of determination running along her spine. No, indeed, she exclaimed lightly. 
of course no one gets rather tired till one's used to it but i'm going to work the full eight hours the shade and the sandwiches were a heavenly combination and the farmer's wife added the final touch when she sent over a pail of deliciously cool milk with mugs enough to go round most of the girls chatted and laughed as they ate but the usually vivacious peggy had not a word to say she munched her sandwiches sipped her milk and for the first time in her life appreciated the luxury of food and rest she had worked just two hours of the four remaining when she suddenly realized that she could not work one minute longer the things that had seemed important all at once ceased to matter mag whipple might laugh as much as she pleased peggy's resolution no longer seemed to herself heroic but a piece of folly springing from a silly fear of what people might say peggy staggered to the girl in charge and proffered her plea the girl stared at her knew and worked six hours she exclaimed why you should have stopped long ago now be careful not to take cold or you'll be so stiff in the morning that you can't get out of bed that evening after dinner some of the girls changed to the dress-up bloomers in the living-room sounded the tinkle of mandolins with much animated chatter and occasionally a burst of song but peggy lay in her cot upstairs oblivious to everything except the ache of her rebellious muscles and the joy of realizing that for her there could be no more sticking tomatoes for at least twelve golden hours. End of chapter four.